Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I, I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show you these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the Lord of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts to your country, and they shall cover the face of the land, so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you, after the hail, so they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and all of the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen. From the day they came on this earth to this day, then they turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God, but which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters, and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord will be with you. If ever I let you and your little ones go, look, you will have some evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all the hail that is left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land that all, upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought back the locusts. The locusts came up all over the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts as ever had seen before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Thank you. Verse 16. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore, forgive me my sins, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, 
that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt and darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven and there was a pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he will not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. Well, if you go on the internet, I don't think it will take you long to hear somebody say, the problem with the world is God, or is religion. The writer, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, reflecting on particularly the sort of terrors of communism in Eastern Europe in the 20th century, answered what it was he thought linked all of the terrible events of the 20th century. He said, I would be unable to find anything more precise and pithy than to repeat once again, men have forgotten God. The failings of human consciousness, deprived of its divine dimension, have been a determining factor in all the major crimes of this century. The world today says that God has ruined society. Solzhenitsyn here says, actually forgetting God had led to ruin. And our story today shows that rebelling against God leads to ruin, while following God leads to flourishing. And that's the one takeaway to take this morning. Rebelling against God leads to ruin, and following God leads to flourishing. But it doesn't always look like that, does it? In real life, it doesn't always feel that way, does it? So there's three truths in, these, in this passage that I want to show you to help remind you where you might be tempted to think it doesn't always feel like that. Firstly, we see God has a purpose in your struggles. Secondly, that God makes the strong weak and God fully rescues his people. Rebelling against God leads to ruin and following God leads to flourishing. Firstly, in those first 11 verses, if you can see those there, either on that uh, piece of A5 reading or, or a Bible in front of you, God has a purpose in your struggles. Life can often feel hard, can't it? There's a saying, in fact, that we have, don't we? The struggle is real. And this must have been a struggle for Moses. Because did the people of Israel perhaps doubt whether they'd ever escape Egypt. For Pharaoh hasn't listened seven times. There have been seven miraculous, terrible plagues that have afflicted Egypt, and he has still not listened. Maybe Moses wondered, why should I carry on? 
Look at verse 1 and 2 with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I've hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I've dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I've done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. God has a purpose in the struggles, and there's three given there. I wonder if you notice them in those verses. Firstly, that I may show these signs among them. That's the first purpose. Secondly, that you may tell your sons, your grandsons, of all that I've done. And thirdly, that you may know that I'm the Lord. Maybe we can identify somewhat with the sense that life is sometimes a struggle. But I'm guessing that our struggles look very different to Moses' struggles. Maybe instead it's ongoing health struggles that seem to limit life, seem to rob us of joy. Maybe they don't even seem to have an end in sight. Maybe at school or university or in your workplace, you feel overlooked or overwhelmed. Maybe you're struggling to keep motivated with it all. Maybe there's a sense of loss of closeness in some of your relationships or rising tensions and you simply don't know how to fix it. Maybe for all the joy of family and relationships and children, it's sometimes hard. There's moments where you feel tired. Maybe you're finding it hard to find time and maybe even desire to read God's word, to pray. Maybe you wonder, what's the point anyway? Maybe you're tired trying to share the gospel with people who don't seem to have any interest. Maybe it's a bit of all. Maybe life just feels a little like a T-Rex trying to pick up a donut. Well then, you need to hear this morning that God has purposes in your struggles too. See, God was leading the people through Moses into freedom. And what we've learned all the way along is that freedom wasn't and is not living as God, but it was and it is living under God's rule by which we flourish But look at what Pharaoh has done, verse 3. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Pharaoh has made Israel serve him. Because the conflict in Exodus is between God and a man who thinks that he's God. And so the first of our two plagues this morning are these locusts, and you see it there in verses 4 to 6, don't you? They cover the land everywhere. There's nothing been like it before. And even the insurance policy that they had had in the previous chapter where Pharaoh wasn't so worried about the uh, crops that had been destroyed because he had some that were still yet to come, well, now that's gone. And so now is a turning point, isn't it? Some previously have begun to turn from Pharaoh and turn towards God. Now they're turning on Pharaoh. Look at verse 7. Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? 
Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? You see, rebelling against God's rule always leads to ruin. Ruin for yourself, but ruin for others too. That's always been the way. If you think back to the very beginning of the story of God in the Bible, think to Genesis 3 and Adam and Eve falling. Wasn't that the story? That Adam and Eve's rebelling against God created ruin for everybody that's ever come since. He's rebuked Pharaoh, but his pride means he still has to haggle, doesn't he? Look at verse 8. Go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, we will go out with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. And let's just pause a moment to, to see. God has granted Moses the voice that he said he would and that Moses said he didn't have back along. Do you remember that? Moses said, don't send me because I can't speak. He's speaking pretty well now, isn't he? God is trustworthy. You can trust him to be with you. Verse 10, the Lord be with you if I ever let you go. And Pharaoh thinks that that would be intimidating. But actually, he doesn't realize how disastrous this is going to be for him and how powerfully present the Lord will be with Israel as they leave. No, he says, verse 11, go the men among you, for that is what you're asking. Of course, that's not what they're asking, is it? Because if they were to ask that, that would mean leaving women and children vulnerable to the Egyptians who have already enslaved and oppressed and killed them. Why would they ever trust Pharaoh to be willing to accept that deal? let alone ask for it. No. Pharaoh makes an offer he knows that they will refuse. But so that he can say later, but I offered you a way out. God has a purpose in the struggles here. And he has a purpose for us too, even if that's hard to see. God has a purpose in your struggles things that are bad, things that are sad, things that you would not choose. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, for those who love God, all things, that's the bit to circle or underline, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He uses bad things for the good purpose of making you more like Jesus. Rebelling leads to ruin, but following leads to flourishing. But now that's not easy, is it? When a great power makes you feel weak. So our next little bit shows us that God makes the strong weak. We're used to seeing, I think, aren't we, pictures of people's transformations with before and after pictures. Um, but they always go the same way, don't they? Everybody always is getting better. You're never getting worse. 
Everybody's always getting stronger and bigger muscles. You're never losing muscles in those pictures. That wouldn't be so motivating, would it? This is a picture of the wrestler Lex Luger, once called the total package. And here's the reality of life that, yes, you grow, but also, you know, we all get old too and things change. God makes the strong weak. And Pharaoh, who has seemed so strong, is now starting to look so weak. Look with me there at verse 13. We see that God is working here in the creation, and he's working both within the natural order that he wrote and beyond the natural order, isn't he? Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land. There he is, working within the laws of nature all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been seen before, nor ever will be again. It's working within natural order, but also there's something about it that's beyond natural order, isn't it? This is unprecedented, never seen before, never to be seen again. Some commentators like to link the previous plagues that we've thought about in an attempt to sort of give a natural answer to what are very supernatural events. But these plagues here, locusts and then darkness, are a problem for that logic. One commentator, Alec Mortier, comments, Boils do not lead to hail, nor hail to darkness. And throughout it all, the exactness of timing, the relation of events to foregoing prayer, and the magnitude of the successive catastrophes point to a supernatural organizing cause. Pharaoh has tried and failed, doesn't he, to control the natural elements. He's tried to do that through his magicians, his sorcerers. And now he doesn't even bother calling them. These locusts here, verse 15, covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all the land of Egypt. Everywhere is destroyed. Everything has gone. Egypt is scorched earth. Because rebellion leads to ruin. But then look at the miraculous way the plague ends. If you skip ahead just a few verses there to verse 19, and here's God working within the natural order, but also beyond it. The Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. But not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. It's lifted as miraculously as it had come. But notice the power shift. God makes the strong weak. And look with me there at verse 16, because now we see power shift. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Power has shifted. We've moved from Moses and Aaron seeking out Pharaoh and Pharaoh sending out Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh seeking Moses and Aaron out. 
I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you, he says. And it tells us that Pharaoh knows that this was the hand of God. His servants have told him that, ironically, by the way, haven't they, previously? So that the problem for Pharaoh wasn't a lack of information. It wasn't a head problem for Pharaoh. He knows well where this has come from. It is a pride problem. It's a heart problem, isn't it? Growing up, I used to play the game Sonic the Hedgehog. And if you weren't very good at the game, you could get a cheat code. And you could get 99 lives and make uh, it significantly easier. Here, with Pharaoh, it looks like a breakthrough. But I think Pharaoh treats this like a cheat code. When I'm in trouble, when I've rebelled and ruin has come upon me, all I do is I say the words to Moses and Aaron and then it goes away. So if I say the words, it will go away and I can go back to doing what I want to do. So that maybe this is not genuine at all and definitely it's short-lived because his behavior doesn't change for long, does it? And yet, Pharaoh is not the only one who is treating God in this way. Israel, too, have treated their God in this way. They'll use the sacrificial system in just the same empty manner. And I wonder if we were honest about ourselves, whether we might recognize moments in which we have said sorry in much the same way. I'm sorry for the ruin I've caused. Take that away. But then straight back to rebelling. Pharaoh, the great superpower, is being made weak, isn't he? He says to them, verse 17, Now therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. Pharaoh's advisors can already see what Pharaoh can't. Back in verse 7, do you not yet understand? Egypt is ruined. It's over. But don't miss, at the end of this section here, the greatest power of all that God exerts. Because God has power over the human heart. Look at verse 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. He's fulfilling the promise that he had made to Moses back in chapter 4, that Pharaoh was going to be hardened and he would have to be overthrown. It would have to be seen that Pharaoh was not in charge after all. One of the crucial things in Egyptian religion was the idea of the weighing of the heart before entering the afterlife. You can see it in some of their artwork. And you had to have your heart weighed against the feather of righteousness. And if the scales tipped in the wrong direction, you wouldn't make it in. This is interesting because the word used here for hardened is literally heavy. I have made Pharaoh's heart heavy. The idea in the image that Pharaoh would know all too well is you know that weighing of the heart that you spend so much time thinking about, you are going to fail. Your heart has been found heavy. God has the greatest power of all to rescue the humble heart 
from its ruin and to leave the prideful heart in its folly. So that rebelling against God leads to ruin and following to flourishing. God has a purpose in our struggles. God makes the strong weak. But then lastly, God fully rescues his people. Back before Michael Caine was known as Alfred in Batman, and before all the sort of brandy and cigars had lowered his voice and he'd suddenly sound more emotional, he was really known for his role in the movie The Italian Job. And in the film, if you're too young to have known it and seen it, they execute a near-perfect bank heist, but as they're driving home through the Alps in Italy, they skid off the road and they're hanging off a cliff edge. And they try to think about how they're going to possibly now escape without letting go of the gold. Because why, oh why, would you go to all of that trouble only to see the gold slip through your fingers at the end? And you see here, it's not enough for Israel to escape Egypt but be in poverty. That's the wrong end to the story. Because God will fully rescue his people. And now we have an unannounced plague, don't we, that catches them off guard. Look at verse 21 there. A darkness comes over the land, a darkness to be felt. That sort of darkness that you find over the moors in the wilderness. This plague is significant because in Egypt, the god Ra was the god of the sun, the skies, order, and kings, and was worshipped through Egypt. And what links these two plagues that seem to be so different, both locusts and darkness, is God's use and command of the skies, to command locusts and winds, and to block out the sun. And it's a display of God's power over the elements that they worship and their life grinds to a halt doesn't it verse 23 they didn't see one another nor did anyone rise from his place for three days but all the people of Israel had light where they lived and there's the contrast isn't it the spiritual reality of two empires here is made visible that there are a people of light and a people of darkness and then we see Pharaoh's motive Verse 24, look carefully there with me. Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord, your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. Let your flocks and your herds remain. Because Israel were just a commodity to Pharaoh. I can't lose you because you're money. And if I do, then this is the monetary value that will ease that loss for me. I need your herds. And Pharaoh is not alone in thinking this way. Because, to our shame, we have to acknowledge that politicians in the 19th century thought much the same way too. Approximately £16.5 billion in today's money was spent compensating Slave traders lost income when slavery was abolished. And think for a moment how utterly wrong that that is, that slave owners be compensated instead of punished. 
And yet that's what happened. And why did it happen? Well, because those people were being valued as a commodity to a business, not human beings. And that is shameful, isn't it? And the problem with history is if you don't remember it, you're condemned perhaps to repeat it if you give yourself enough time. Pharaoh can't lose the people because he has a cash value on them. But look at Moses' response. Not a hoof shall be left behind. They will be fully rescued. No negotiations, no exceptions. Because under God's rule, you flourish spiritually, physically, economically. And pause a moment to remember all of this while Egypt lays ruined. Pharaoh wants the herds because he has no herds. <laughs> Little Israel actually now has all the power, all the might. A power shift is occurring. And how is Moses now so bold? Because this is a turnaround, isn't it, from the man who said, well, don't send me because I can't speak. What can I do? Well, he's trusted God, is not he? He's trusted God, not himself. And he's trusted God's word, not Pharaoh's word. God has promised, I will deliver you out, and not only will I deliver you out, but actually the people of Egypt are going to turn over their goods to you so that you will plunder the Egyptians, is the language. Moses has trusted God. But look at Pharaoh again, verse 27. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart because his purpose was to rescue Israel and to ruin Pharaoh. And the hardening is evidenced in his response, isn't it? Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. From the day you see my face, you shall die. And Pharaoh simply doesn't realize the terror that is to come. And look at Moses' response, verse 29. As you say, I will not see your face again. Moses is not intimidated at all, is he? I think, in fact, Moses thinks Pharaoh's days are numbered and that God will soon kill him. And so he says, as you say, I will not see your face again. God fully rescues his people. So rebelling against God leads to ruin and following to flourishing. Through Moses, God had promised that he would lead his people to rescue from Egypt and a wicked Pharaoh. And through Jesus, God leads us to rescue from our adversaries, from Satan, sin and death. And Jesus, too, knew that rebelling from his father would lead to ruin and that following led to flourishing. Jesus had to find a purpose in his struggles for us. Hebrews 12, verse 2, it tells us Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He was misunderstood, rejected, arrested under false charges, beaten and killed, and does it to save us. Holds on to the purpose in his struggles. 
But Jesus, though strong, became weak for us too. Philippians 2, verse 7 to 8 tells us that he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus used his power to empty himself, dying for our sins in our place, to make us right before God. Jesus found a purpose in his struggles. He, though strong, became weak. And Jesus will fully rescue us. John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus suffered and died so that the curse of sin would be broken and that we might have life and life in all of its fullness in him. And so how do we take hold of this? As Margaret read in her prayer, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Rebelling from God leads to ruin, but following leads to flourishing. Let's turn to God in prayer, and then we will continue worshipping together through song, and we'll give thanks for all that God is and all that he has done for us. Let's pray.